0: Good morning. It's been a few weeks. Maybe y'all like the break. Maybe I do believe the Lord spoke to us both times I wasn't here preaching, but that's the thing. God will always provide a means of speaking to us, and it's not dependent upon one person. Um because the Lord cares about His church, and uh, I'm thankful for that. This morning we're going to start a series on spiritual gifts, and this has been a topic that I've thought about a lot, especially lately. I started reading a book by um, a pastor named Sam Storms, he's in Oklahoma, and I don't agree with everything that he says, but he, in his books, he was constantly just reminding me that we should expect God to move. And that we should be experiencing God's gifts in our our assembly. And because of that, he, he had actually done a series at his church from 1 Corinthians 12 through... 14, and that's what I want to do with us, because I believe that Paul gives us a a picture here of how the gifts are to move, what they are, and why it's important for us as believers to practice the gifts. And so, this morning, if you'll stand with me. As we read the word of the Lord to us this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore... I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that your word would be clear this morning, that you would speak what you have for us to hear, for those who are listening this morning, um, and those who will hear later. Father, I just pray that your spirit would be glorified. Your name is God. Your power, your gift would always lead back to you. Lord, I pray that you would guide us. Give us a clear understanding of your word. Father, help us not to seek to do things in our own power. But to realize, Lord, that these gifts are from you and not of our own efforts, Lord. Father, open our ears, I pray this morning. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you think of cities that people go to to experience God's presence, the first city on your list is Las Vegas, right? No? Really? Man, I thought that's why everybody went to Las Vegas. No, we, we think of Las Vegas as the city of prostitution and gambling and drunkenness and drugs and every sort of sin. Why? We actually name it Sin City. And we have this false view that if you go to Vegas, it stays there, whatever happens. Really? Really? <laughs> What a a mixed up bunch of garbage. Well, Corinth was the same. In their area, they were the Vegas of the Greek world. They were known, their women were known as prostitutes and loose. God had done a work in Corinth, and Paul actually spent 18 months in Corinth. A long time seeking to see them grow. But this city was a wicked city. It was the capital of the worship of Epaphrodite. And guess what? The worship of Epaphrodite was just an excuse to have sex with anyone you wanted and prostitutes, and it just absolutely filthy. Immorality. The Corinth, it was said, was the city of a thousand prostitutes. Of course, I would guess that Las Vegas has far exceeded that number. But here we have a church in the midst of Sin City. A church that is surrounded by wickedness. A church that is full of men and women who have been brought out of this culture to a saving knowledge of Christ. And that is the church that Paul has come to. This is actually, and I I agree with many commentators on this, this is actually the second letter that Paul has written To the church at Corinth. Because he makes reference to a previous letter that he had to write because of immorality in the church. And in this letter, Paul is dealing with two different things. He's dealing with reports that he's heard from people who have visited Corinth. And then he's also dealing with a letter that the people in Corinth wrote to him. So if you look at the basis of the book of Corinth, because I want us to have a good understanding, it's not helpful for us to just preach these passages and then be totally out of sorts as what what Paul and who Paul is talking to. So if you look at the beginning of the book from verse 10 of chapter 1 to verse 6 of chapter 2 or verse 20 of chapter 6 he's dealing with these oral reports these warnings that he has heard from other believers these problems and the first thing he deals with is disunity why why was it a problem there because They didn't understand what Christian ministers and ministry was about. They thought it was about power and whoever was the most eloquent and whoever could sway the crowds. So, Paul spends the first four chapters addressing this disunity the the Apollos followers, the Paul followers, the Peter followers, the Christ followers. And he's saying, Look, this is not, we are servants. I watered, Apollos, or I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. It wasn't us. Then, in the following chapters, he deals with immorality in the church. And I want us to see how bad this was. If you look with me at, verse, at chapter 5, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians... It says, it is actually reported. It's like, I cannot believe this is happening. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you and and immorality of such a kind as does not even exist among the Gentiles. This immorality is so gross and disgusting and, and godless that even the Gentiles know this is wrong. And what was it? That someone has his father's wife incest in the church and they're not doing anything about it. And that's why it's actually because of this that Paul sent a letter previously to deal with this issue. Told him to put him out. But Paul also deals with not just immorality in the church, but the church also has issues with disputes. They're taking each other to court over things. He's saying, don't do that. Deal with them together. You're believers. You're in Christ. You should be able to work out your differences without going to the law. Look at what God's Word says and make your... Judgments. Don't go to the courts of secular men to determine what's wrong and not. And finally, in the oral reports, he deals with the fact that people are taking their freedom in Christ and using it as an excuse to live in sin. So those are the four things that he's heard. These problems are going on. People are taking... They've, they believe that grace... Allows him to do whatever. And he's dealing with that. And then finally, not finally, but next he deals with responses to a letter he's received from them. He he responds. And you you can see this beginning in chapter 7. He says, Now, concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. They wrote that. And so he's he, in this place, he starts responding and he, he starts dealing with the first thing that they brought up in the in the letter was sex and marriage. And then marriage as itself. Is it okay? and And he deals with all this. We don't have time to go over all the things that he's saying here. But here in chapter 7, he deals with The marriage relationship, singlehood, divorce, remarriage, whether those things are right. He says no, despite what some people want to construe. And then in chapter 8 through 11, he deals with idols and the feasts that are involved. Idolatry. And then starting in chapter 11, he deals with Christian worship and more specifically, and most specifically, the Lord's Supper. Because they have let their traditions define the Lord's Supper. They're getting drunk like they're at a pagan festival. And he says, that's not okay. You're acting like you're pagans when you're worshiping God. You're taking and letting syncretism come in. You're, you're bringing in your pagan rituals, your, your Corinthian ways, and just putting Jesus on top. That can't, be, that can't be the case. So he deals with that when he tells us about the Lord's Supper in chapter 11. And then... This is the final section of this book. He deals with spiritual gifts from chapter 12 to the end of 14. I don't think it was final by accident. I think it is the last thing he wants them to remember. The problem is the church in Corinth isn't in... They're they're spiritual. That's not the problem. How do we know that? If you look with me, at verse 1, or chapter 1 of Corinthians, he says in verse 7, he says, or verse 6, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so they're, they're believers, so that you are not lacking in any gift. The spiritual gifts that Paul is going to lay out in chapter 12 and in the following chapters, they have them all. What a blessing that must have been. But in that overview I just gave you, what's the problem? There's still sin in the church. Filthy immorality in the church. Isn't that crazy? Why? Because they have allowed the world around them to define how they live. And what Paul is getting at in verse 12, or chapter 12, when we start, he is getting at the fact that they have allowed their understanding of pagan worship to define spiritual gifts and their exercise. So Paul is writing to them, So that they understand the proper use of the spiritual gifts and where they come from. So, if you turn back to chapter 12 with me. He begins, Now, Okay, in light of this, the Lord's Supper, the fact that there is division, there's sin in your body, there, there's problems between you guys, and this is why people are dying. Because sin is not being dealt with between you all. Now, concerning spiritual gifts. He doesn't say fleshly gifts or carnal gifts. Actually, the word gifts is added to this because the word here is spiritual things. It's just the word for spiritual, but it's plural. So they assume he's talking about spiritual gifts because then he defines them. It says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware or I don't want you... To not know. You need to know. That's what he's saying. He's using a negative, a double negative actually in the Greek, to give, make his point clear. When, when the Apostle Paul uses a double negative, it's like an imperative. I want you to know. So if you see, when you're reading through the writings of Paul or any of the New Testament, they always use a double negative to make a strong point So he actually says, I, I don't want you to be without knowledge. That's actually the exact literal translation. I don't want you to be without knowledge. Not without knowledge. And that, that is making the point, you need to know. You need to know about the spiritual gifts. And they're probably sitting there, Paul, why is this such a big deal? I mean, we have them all. We've got tongues and prophecy and the apostleship. We've got teachers and preachers. We've got the gifts of healing. We've got everything. But there's a problem. They're immature. Prior in this book, he actually says, I can't give you meat because you're immature. You need milk. I don't want you to be unaware. Paul is concerned. And this is my first point. He's concerned for a knowledge of the spiritual gifts. He wants them to know. Know what? We're going to see throughout, but right in this point, his point is, that God is the source of the gifts. Not man. Not your ability. Not your spiritual prowess. It is God who gives the gifts. There's no reason to boast when God gives it. They need to know because... Paul sees a problem. He's, he's read their letter, and he's, he's looking at the letter, and he's thinking, oh my, I can't believe you're having this kind of discord in the church. And the, I, I hear about how the, you're using your gifts for selfish gain, and not for the edification of the church. You need to know what the gifts are for, where they came from, and how to use them. And Paul gives us some background. he's, He's pointing us to what Corinth was like, right? He says, you know, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols. You were led astray to the mute idols. It made me go to Habakkuk. I know you all know where Habakkuk is, so I don't need to point you there. See, I even shot past it. <laughs> Habakkuk t- chapter two, verses eighteen and nineteen have a good description of idol. He says, What prophet is the idol when its maker has carved it? So ridiculous. For an image, a teacher of f- falsehood. For its maker, trust in his own handiwork. Isn't that that's just completely ignorant? So foolish. When he fashions speechless idols, woe to him who says to a piece of wood, Awake! To a mute stone, Arise! And that is your teacher? Behold, is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all inside it. Verse 20, But the Lord is in His holy temple. He lives. He's there. He's real. He speaks. Let all the earth be silent before Him. See the contrast? These mute idols that they were following... To the true God who speaks. Saying, look, you, you were following dumb idols in the actual use of the word. They could not speak. They cannot hear. And these dumb idols are the result of living for We see this contrast between the spirit and the flesh. The spirit and the flesh. Their fleshly living has led them to dumb idols. That's his second point. He's concerned about them getting the spiritual gifts, of knowing about them. And now he's saying, look, the result of your living prior to Christ was following dumb idols. In the literal sense, they cannot speak or hear. Therefore, verse 3. I know you're thinking three verses. It's going to be a short message, right? <laughs> I know. Maybe it will be. verse 3 says therefore in light of this in the in light of the fact that you were following mute dumb idols i make known to you so he's he's going to tell them something that is going to correct something they wrote about right it's likely they were hearing he was hearing stories about these maybe this guy who was in an incestuous relationship was performing miracles Possibly. Again, this is conjecture, so don't take it as gospel truth. But maybe these people who were sinning in the church, whether him or not, were performing miracles. and Or doing things that were supposedly led by the Spirit. And he says, therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says... Jesus is accursed. This has a two-part look, I believe. First, there are Jews and Gentiles who are faking Christian miracles. I mean, look at way back in the Old Testament, the magicians of Egypt, they were able to fake it pretty well. I mean, their snakes... Their rods turned to snakes too. What was the difference? Aaron's snake ate theirs. Or Aaron's rod ate theirs. Somehow the rod came back the same size. But um, I guess rods digest rods for strength. But they could fake it. Or go with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8. And here we have the story of some things happening in Samaria. Persecution has started so the churches begin spreading out following the command of Christ because persecution has pushed them out. Philip has gone to Samaria and they've Seen salvation, And, and so the apostles in Jerusalem, verse 14, says, Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. They came to pray that they would receive the Holy Spirit. Now there's a man there, and we see it before this in verse 12. But when they believe Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God. Sorry, verse 9. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria. He was, he had power. It would seem power that would be formidable. Formidable to the church. And he was claiming to be someone great, and they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. Right? And they were giving him attention because he had, a, for a long time, astonished them with his magic arts. Kind of like the David Blaine of... Their time. But. It's a big but. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. They were being baptized. Men and women alike. Even Simon himself. Believed. Believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. The trickster realized that these men had real power. But he missed out on something. He thought that there was something that he could get. And we see that here. And he says, right there in verse 15, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. In verse 16 he says, For he had not yet fallen upon them all. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then, who? Peter and John. They began laying hands, their hands on them, and they were re- receiving the Holy Spirit. Wow. What a sight it must have been. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of hands, he saw something. Guess what? They were speaking in tongues. Even non-charismatic cessationists believe that they saw them speaking in tongues. Because it happened immediately. Now, He saw this, and he offered them money. Hey, can I buy that? I want you to imagine. Let's go. Somebody gives you a gift. Something valuable. A diamond ring. Now, let's say you're out in the store, and you see a perfect stranger, and they come up to you and say, Hey, could you get me one just like that? I'll give you money. See if your friend can give you that gift to give to me. Do you think that would work? No. He's trying to purchase a gift because he thinks it's them who give the gift. He thinks that they're the distributors of this power because he was like that. He was a magician who was constantly seeking to gain power and money. Oh, yeah. Oh, you want that? Okay, for... For this money over here, you give me a hundred dollars, I will give you a frog out of your ear. Oh, for fifty bucks, I can pull a rabbit out of a hat. So he he thought, well, you know the, these these guys work just like I did. You know, if I if I purchase it, then I can have same same power. What happens? He offered them money saying, give this authority to me as well so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. He thought it was just something you could buy. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. And I would say, also, you thought you could gain the gift of God with works. How many people in the charismatic community think that if they're spiritual enough or if they are religious enough or sinless enough that God will give them gifts? I mean, we all know people like this, but that's not how it's given. It's a free gift, it's not based on how. Perfect, you are. It's are you in Christ? Do you ask in faith? That's it. Amen. What does he said? You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. He rebukes him. You you can't. He says, therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord, that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. See how his past life, his pagan ways, had influenced him to think that he could buy something that God alone gave? He was confusing the person empowered with the giver. He did not realize that God was the giver. And that's what Paul is getting at here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He wants them to know it is God who gives the Holy Spirit. It's not something that I gave or some leader, Apollo, Peter, whoever you want to follow. They don't give the gifts. God does through His Holy Spirit. Peter ends his rebuke, he says, For I see that you are in a gall of bitterness in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourself so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. I think he was a born-again believer. I really do. I think his response right there shows that. But his he, though he had become a Christian, he, he still had thought the way that he thought before. God was doing a work. And it's very likely that this was a big work in him to realize that the things of God are not bought or sold. They're given. And I use this example because I think it gives us a good picture of the kind of people that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you'll turn back there with me. These people who are saying they're of God, but they're faking it. Or they're saying, well, Jesus is a curse. There were Jews who hated Christ, and yet they were trying to do miracles? Then there are others who were doing miracles but living for themselves, and that is just as bad as saying Jesus is accursed. Doing miracles for selfish gain—that's that's what the problem with Simon. He he thought, well, then I can. People can pay me and I'll I'll get my notoriety back. I think Paul right here is addressing pride. People who think that they can get the Spirit on their own. So what we say will expose the truth. That's the final point that we see here In verse 3. I like what Andres Kostenberger says about this idea here, what's going on. He says, Many of the theological problems in the church of Corinth were a product of syncretism, in which the Corinthians misunderstood resurrection. He deals with that. Paul does. Spiritual gifts. Gender roles, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. Why? Due to the influence of their pagan background. And that's the same for us. We we have to come to the word and realize there are things that I believe and I think that are not of God. They're they're things that I've been taught my whole life, but they don't apply they're not congruent or in the same mindset of God. So we must allow God's Word to be the definition and the, def- the defining work that shows us what is true worship. What is a good and faithful use of the spiritual gifts. It's not about our opinion. Spiritual gifts, and this is not necessarily addressed here, but spiritual gifts are not about us. Except in the sense that it's a blessing of God to us. And to us as a church, but it's about his glory. The glory that would say, Jesus is Lord. The second half of chapter 3, or verse 3. Because he says, And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Or Paul literally says, If not by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit alone empowers us to say Jesus is Lord, truly. Yeah, there are plenty of people running around saying Jesus is Lord, but what's what's the problem? Their life doesn't prove that to be true. That doesn't mean sinless perfection. It means that if Jesus is Lord of your life, you will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live for Him. I think in this second one we are seeing again an a, addressing to sinners in the church who are unwilling to repent. They oh yeah Jesus is Lord. And what are they doing? They're living in sin. He's saying they're not really saying that Jesus is Lord because if they were, they would be living for him. This this brother who's living sleeping with his Father's wife, apparently a second wife, I don't know. Still disgusting. He's doing this. This man is not of God. He can't live that way and say Jesus is Lord and truly mean it. Our lives should line up with what we say. Not we say it and then that, that, that's all we need to say. Yeah, just say a prayer and then you're good for the rest of your life. Just keep saying, Jesus is Lord, I, right? How many people have you met that live like that? I still remember Mr. Hamilton's illustration of the man who was constantly saying, if I died in the arms of a, a filthy woman, I would still go to heaven. R- really? You're living in sin and you think God would, would say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come into my rest. It's not that works save us, but our sin exposes what we truly believe, who we truly are. the exercise of the spiritual gifts will always glorify Christ as Lord. Always. The right use of the spiritual gifts will always glorify Christ as Lord. It will never curse Christ. So my my view here is that these men... There are people who are acting in the gifts, but they're bringing condemnation on the church. They're bringing a curse because people are saying, that guy over there is using it for himself. He's turned. How many people do we know that God used them mightily in ministry and then they started to get away because they they started to think they were the power? I mean, how many televangelists and... People who still are on TV are doing this today. Well, Paul is warning them. Look, you can't can't be like you were when you were Gentile and exercise the gift. You can't just... Your life should be in accordance with God's Word. They were... Practicing gifts based only on selfish desires, what they wanted, what they felt they needed. They were being immoral, drunk, prostitution. These things are actually dealt with by Paul, drunkenness at the Lord's Supper. Could you imagine <laughs> coming and drinking so much wine back then they would have been drinking wine or a, a, some kind of a, a grape juice? And they drank enough to get drunk. And there were others in the church who were hungry and had nothing. At the Lord's Supper. Immorality, we already talked about that. Prostitution. Paul deals with all these things in the church of Corinth. So they, they have all the gifts flowing, but they're letting sin in. They're not dealing with sin Why? Because they're letting their background define how God works through them. They're not realizing what Paul is going to make a point of. He, he is saying that we should be doing this for the edification of the church and the glory of God. Spiritual gifts have always been about this the edification of the church and the glory of God. If they are not for those two reasons, they are misled. And I would say dare say that the reason we haven't seen it here yet is maybe our motivation is wrong. And I'm not I'm labeling labeling myself too. So please don't be offended. If you are offended, maybe it's true. But Our motivation should be the glory of God and the building up of the church. That's what it's always been about. Because when the spiritual gifts you see in the book of Acts, go and read it. Read the book of Acts. It would be a great read this week. It would probably take you an hour. Read the book of Acts and just look at how many times God is glorified when the gifts are moving. And when people try to give glory to Paul or Peter or whoever, they say, No, 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 no. We're not gods. We're not. No. The true God is Jesus Christ. Look to him, glorify him. So when God pours out his spirit on us and fills us with his spirit and he allows the gifts to begin to flow in this church, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about his glory. So when people say, "Well, you're an amazing healer." "Oh, yeah. Come, go with us. We'll make you rich." Say, "No, this isn't about me. God gave me this. I'm nothing." I pray that 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 as we're speaking about the gifts and seeing how God used the gifts in the church, that we keep these two things clear. God wants to use you, but it's for His glory and the edification of the church. I don't know what gifts God will give to each of you, and it won't be all the same. But I do know that God says He gives them. And despite what the world around us says, I believe that the gifts are for today. And I'm not going to even argue that. Because it's not worth our time. If you want proofs, I'd be more than happy to sit down with you. But I believe that the majority here agree with me. And I want us to see there's a reason Paul put this at the beginning of this section. He wants to make it clear that God gives the gift. It's not something that I have inherent in myself and I just work it up. I've been there. I've seen a church. We actually served in a church in Guatemala where that was the case. This person would work himself up into a frenzy and then fall out on the floor, but only when the pastor was there to catch her. She never did it when I preached, because <laughs> I was going to let her hit the floor. Not because I wanted to hurt, hurt her, but if the Holy Spirit calls you to fall out, he'll protect you. But she only, she only had those things when he was there. complete side note but if we leave today with anything it's that God gives the gifts for his glory and the edification of the church I believe that's what Paul is saying here that's what we need to know about spiritual gifts to begin because when we start in verse 4 he's going to start describing the gifts what they are not in complete detail, but I hope to be looking in the book of Acts to find examples of these gifts being mo- used and how God was glorified in them and that the church was edified in them. I'm going to be, this, this is going to be what you're going to be seeing. God's glory and the edification of the church. God's glory, edification of the church. And when I get done with this series, you'll be sick and tired of those two words. I hope not. I hope you will be glorifying God because He has awakened in you the realization that He wants to use each and every one of you in the gifts. You may not all be prophets. You probably won't. You may not all be healers. You may not all be name the the gift. But if we are living with a desire to be used by God in the gifts, earnestly desiring the gifts for the glory and edification of the church, glory of God and edification of the church. I believe we're going to see it. That's where my faith is right now. And I believe that God will use my wife and my kids and my family here and everyone that's here. I believe God could begin to work in us a revival of his spirit and a a true picture of what the church is supposed to look like not because we're big because we're not not because we've got the fancy building on the corner because we don't but because he loves his church and we need the gifts to grow we need the gifts for daily life we need the gifts so that he will ultimately get the glory and that's what I have for us today. Let's pray. Father, we are more concerned for your glory and your honor than anything. Lord, help us to live that way. Not just in as we think about the spiritual gifts, but that our lives in work, in school, in whatever aspect of life as a mother or father, as parents and grandparents and whatever role we have in the world, Lord, I pray that we would seek to glorify You. And Lord, that as we begin to see Your gifts as they are in Your Word, that we would begin to earnestly seek them, earnestly desire them, because Lord, we're imperfect. And give us a desire to be moved by your Spirit, in a right way, for the building up of your church, not for selfish gain. Oh, Lord, you are so magnificent. You thought of everything we would need. Help us, Lord, not to take for granted what we have, but also, Lord, to look to what your word says is available. Help us to be motivated by your glory. That the reason we want your gifts to flow in this church is for your glory and your honor. Not so that we can say we were right and they were wrong. But so that you would be glorified in this community. That the people who live around this church would, be, would see the glory of God moving that we, as a church, would be empowered in our witness of Jesus Christ. That when we pray for the sick, they would be healed. That when we pray, Lord, for knowledge about things and wisdom, we would e- experience that, Lord. That when You empower us to prophesy or give us words of knowledge or to teach or to preach, Lord, that we would experience Your presence and that Your presence would rest over not only this place, but each and every one of us every day of the week. And Lord, that it would drive us to your word, give us a hunger and a thirst for you. Lord, we need you. We can't live without you. Bring us your spirit. Fill us afresh, Lord, with your spirit. That your gifts would flow in this church for your honor, your glory, and for the edification of this church. We praise you and thank you, Lord, and trust that you will be with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope that you're expecting God to move through these messages. I've thought a lot about this. Fortunately, I haven't had as much time, thanks to my uh, semester, to get started in it yet, but I'm excited about where this is leading and um, just listening. I've been listening to that sermon series that that man preached, Sam Storm preached, and though I don't agree with everything he says, it's been lighting a fire in me just to see God move because it was interesting... This church is a Baptist church in Oklahoma. And at the end of some of the services, he's actually, there are people giving words of knowledge. In a Baptist church, I'm not trying to downplay Baptists, but most Baptists don't believe in the gifts. And here's a church that is actively seeing God move and speak. And I believe we can experience it here. Not because we're something, but because God's Word says it. So, I'm going to stop preaching. Uh, Have a blessed week, and I pray that you would enjoy God's presence this week. So, have a good week.